Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I am Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me as always. Eric, how are you doing this Friday? I'm doing pretty darn good, man. Uh, gearing up for another Saturday at Autzen Stadium, another opportunity to, to see some of the young guys probably. We'll talk about that throughout the podcast and, and kind of what we expect from this game with Montana. But yeah, just excited that the season's now kind of like we're, we're in the season. We're in, we're in the middle of it and uh, a lot to get to today. Yeah, we've got a lot to get ready for. Um, the Oregon Ducks will be playing their second game of the 2019 season at home, their home schedule. That kicks off. Uh, it's going to be a late one. 7.55 is the official start time of this football game, so almost an 8 p.m. start. Uh game will be airing on the Pac-12 Network's Oregon uh, against Montana. The Ducks are ranked 15th in the AP poll. Uh, Montana, I believe, I don't have their ranking, but FCS, they're like top 20, right? I think 18th in one and 20th in the other from what Correct. I see. That's what I thought. That's what I remember. I wasn't 100% sure, though. But Oregon takes on Montana, who's 2-0. The Ducks are 1-1. On the call on the Pac-12 Networks, Roxy Bernstein, Anthony Heron, and Jill Savage. Uh, There really isn't a spread to be found, I don't think. Um, Looking at this football game, there is one at Chinook Wind. So if you are a a state of Oregon resident, you can go in and uh, you can go to Chinook Winds and and place a bet. But – Actually, there now has been a line post now that I just triple-checked for the third time. Um, Ducks are 36.5-point favorites in this football game. So, obviously, there's going to be a lot of expectations that this Oregon football team scores a ton of points. But talking to the players this week, um, coming off that 77-point performance against Nevada, they talked a lot about how they weren't really pleased on the offensive side of the football, of, of how they played in the run game. Um Andy Avalos, defensive coordinator, talked a lot about how there were some moments where he'd never seen so many freshmen out on the football field, and they made some mistakes, and they played well, and they got a lot of notes to take. And um, Another opportunity where Oregon should, should Eric, in, in theory, the second half should be Oregon's second and third, and, and if there is even a fourth string of guys out there getting, getting valuable game reps. Yeah, I think that's something that you – and not to totally discount Montana, and we'll talk a little bit about what they present as potential challenges throughout the podcast, but it does feel like an opportunity to, once again, get some of these young guys out on the field, see what they can do in live game situations in front of the Austin lights, and, and just to see how they perform. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it, it was makes a lot of sense because the coaches are never going to be as happy as I think the fans are with certain things, and I think if, if you would have pulled the fans on how the second units played, on Saturday, they would have given really, really high marks. You know, I mean, again, the defense with a lot of second-team guys didn't give up a single point in the second half. The offense uh, with Tyler Shuck running the offense scored uh, a number of touchdowns, I think three touchdowns on drives that he was leading the offense, and that was impressive. Um, but, yeah, a lot of – there's a lot of work to do, and that's what you should be saying two weeks into a season. I think if you feel like you've, you've reached your – if you've plateaued or reached the ceiling of a team two weeks in, that's probably not um, going to be a very successful season. And clearly, clearly that's where they're at, and clearly they're continuing to to look at this team and realize, gosh, it might look really good now, but the upside is is still so much, you know, greater, and, and there's so much more to accomplish. And I think you're right. I think the second half of this game more than likely will be another opportunity to see a lot of Tyler Shuck at quarterback. Maybe we'll see Kale Millen at quarterback, depending on how the game plays out. Maybe we'll see 
Um, a, a couple of guys that didn't play last week. Uh, you know, there are a handful of, you know, freshmen and redshirt freshmen that, that didn't get a play, um, even in that blowout of Nevada. So there's going to be an opportunity to see a lot of guys. And, again, this is kind of your final dress rehearsal before a really big game against Stanford um, next week. And, and you want to make sure you kind of know what you have. And, you, you again, I think we saw a lot of positive things from some young guys, especially – I shouldn't say especially on defense. Offensive guys played at a high level, too. But, you know, guys like Mace Funa and Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, DJ Johnson and Keon Ware-Hudson and uh, Steve Stevens made an interception and Brady Breeze had a touchdown. And a lot of these guys that aren't starters who are kind of pushing for playing time performed very highly. And I think, again, when you get a game here where you're more than likely going to be up by five, six, you know, the spread's five touchdowns, it should be an opportunity to get a lot of these guys in the game. Um, Nevada – or not Nevada uh, – Montana opened the season against South Dakota on the road. They won that football game 31 to 17. And then this past weekend, they had their home opener, um, in Missoula and they beat North Alabama 61 to 17. So they've, they've played two, um, FCS opponents so far this season. Uh, Oregon is just the lone FBS opponent that they will play this year. So, uh, this will be their toughest test. And look, and this is going to be a game where they're coming in with the idea probably of, like, we're expected to lose, right? We're expect, expected to get blown out. And this game has no impact whatsoever on our national aspirations at the FCS level. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Montana throws some trickery in there, um, takes some, you know, aggressive shots early when, if the game's not, you know, completely out of reach yet and, you know, kind of make the game a, a little funky in a sense of, you know, throw it out there and, and see what you can do. Be aggressive, take some chances, take some risks, you know, and, and, and see if that can, can put you in a position where you're in the lead or you're, you know, you're right running right with the pack with, with Oregon in this football game. So I, I think this team in Montana is probably Right. Typically, when you see like an FCS opponent, you're probably like, okay, or you know, this. If you're a if you're a top ten team, you you should obliterate this team. You know, in reality, we should see a, a score much like we saw against Nevada. But I think you know, the better FCS programs are actually pretty good. Yeah. And so it, it wouldn't surprise me if if Montana has a couple guys that can do some damage against Oregon. Yeah, and I think we should. It's just a good place to start with just looking at Montana. You know, one thing. And I just have this story up on the side I wrote yesterday just about Oregon in two games this year has played freshman quarterbacks, quarterbacks who have basically no experience. You know, Bo Nix at Auburn made his debut uh, against Oregon. Carson Strong last week against Oregon played in his second game as a starting quarterback at this level. Uh, Dalton Sneed, Montana's quarterback, is a fifth-year quarterback. He started his career at UNLV. He was their starting quarterback as a redshirt freshman like four years ago. Went to a community college. Last year he was uh, at Montana for the first year. It was the Big Sky All um, Newcomer of the Year. Uh, he was, you know, he's one of the better players at the FCS level the last year and a half now, and is is not a freshman quarterback who is going to come in here maybe starry eyed at the big stage against these better athletes. And um, I think that's something that you have to be aware of, and not to totally knock on Strong last week, but I think. Oregon's ability to really open that game up last week was a, was a byproduct in part of him really struggling. Of he threw a couple of interceptions uh, that you know set up Oregon to score points, and the running backs fumbled the ball and made mistakes. And you know Oregon had a handful of drives there that that just started, 
either they scored, because we should mention Brady Brees scored off one, or they started drives within the 10-yard line. And that second half, it felt like a lot of that stuff happened. I think having an inexperienced quarterback played into that, and you play against a guy who's a veteran, who's pretty competent, who people speak really highly of, and I don't expect those type of mistakes to be made, you know, either as frequently or at all. And I think Oregon is going to have to to play at a higher level to blow them out anywhere near as dominant. I really don't expect, and we'll talk about predictions later, I don't expect them to win this game by 71 points. I think that would be uh, awfully, awfully optimistic to expect that consecutive weeks to just completely dominate a team. Maybe I'll be wrong, and we'll come away going like, oh, my gosh, this Oregon team is just carrying on, carrying a ton of momentum into conference play. But, you know, it's a veteran group with Snead, and then their, their slot receiver uh, – Jerry Louis McGee, which, by the way, sounds like a character from, like, a, I don't know, like some sort of sports comedy movie. Um, he's, he's nicknamed Mr. Electricity because he's, uh, I think, like, the all-time punt return leader in Montana history. And he's, I think, going to be probably after this week the receptions and yardage leader. He's, like, really close on both of those uh, leaderboards as well. So that's a guy to be aware of. He's an undersized 5'9". 170-pound guy, but he, he's been very productive. And on the outside, they've got a couple of 6364 receivers. So they've got some size and some talent offensively. Uh, again, I don't think that this is – clearly this is nowhere near as talented of an offense as, as Auburn. Um, but it is a veteran quarterback with some experienced guys. And like we said earlier, they, they know how significant this game is. And and you're right, they, they come into this game kind of going like, there's really nothing to lose here. Let's just go out and, and fire at will and see what happens. I think from a from a defensive standpoint, um, everything Mario, Mario Cristobal said everything starts with uh, senior linebacker Dane Olson for the Grizz. When 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 he's out there, he makes a ton of plays. He was voted the the Big Sky Conference preseason defensive MVP, and he was the only player at the FCS level to be named to the 2019 Buckus Award watch list, which I believe goes out to the top linebacker um, yeah. in the country for college football. So he's the only guy at the FCS level. He's, he's not going to win the award. Let's be real there. But to, to, to be thrown into that consideration, though, when you play a level down with everybody else at the highest level, that, that kind of tells you how good this guy is. And, I mean, he was scout team player of the year as a redshirt freshman. He played in uh, 11 games as a red uh, after you know his redshirt year uh, in 2017. He was a all big you know second team all Big 12 guy on on special teams. Uh, he was the team special teams player of the year, and then he was an All American and the, the FCS Defensive Player of the Year for Phil Steele uh, in the conference and and nationally. And you know this is going to be a guy that he's their Troy Die essentially. Right, like, and 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 the cool thing is, is guess he's from Medford. He's from Medford, Oregon. So he's he's coming back to the state that he grew up in to play, you know, against probably a team that he wished he could have played at. And you know, he's gonna be their their focal point. Everything starts with him, and you know, figuring out where he is on the field is at all times is is going to be, you know, Oregon's probably their biggest task of of the game from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is when you have guys that are in these national award conversations, and even like you said, even if they're FCS awards or FCS players, these are talented football players. You look at the NFL. There's, you know, currently there's a ton of rosters with guys that are FCS players that are playing. 
Um, you know, either integral roles or special teams roles. Olsen might be a guy who does it. Maybe this Jerry Louis McGee is a guy who can become, a, you know, an NFL return guy or a slot guy in the NFL. So there, there's certainly there's certainly players on this team that are going to be notable and players to watch uh, for sure. And, and I think it's good that we kind of run down a couple of these guys before before kickoff on Saturday so that you can go into the game going like, okay, here's three guys who I need to be aware of. Yeah, they they run an interesting defense too, um, and this is what's going to make things difficult for Oregon is that you know they they run a three three five, and Shane Lemieux, Oregon's offensive lineman, you know, was telling us earlier this week that you know it, it last week against Nevada they needed a quarter to kind of adjust just because they don't have the personnel on their own roster to kind of give them a perfect you know, scout of how, you know, Nevada schemed up their 3-3-5. And he said, it's no offense to our own players. It's just, you know, that that's how we're built. We're not built to, you know, to run something like this to, a, you know, perfect T. And, you know, Cristobal said this week that while they run a similar, while, you know, while Nevada ran a 3-3-5 and, you know, Montana is going to do the same thing, they're entirely different defenses. And, and so there's going to be another bit of an adjustment. And I guess the question then becomes just how quickly can Oregon adjust and, and make their alterations to their game plans uh, to be prepared to, you know, to move the ball on this defense. And you had to be impressed with, with what happened last week from Oregon, right. the perspective of flipping that switch on. I don't think it'd go much better of you score seven points in, you know, the first 20 minutes of the game and then you score 70 over the last 40. So uh, certainly you saw some pet impressive things, but you're right. If this is a defense that takes a couple of drives to get used to, it's going to be another challenge for Oregon to see how quickly they can kind of on the fly make adjustments, get things figured out, and hopefully get going at a high level. Now, from an injury standpoint, um, it's kind of much of what we knew last week, right, for, for, for injuries. And there's really just two that we're waiting on. Senior ger- wide receiver Juwan Johnson, junior tight end Brendan Schooler. Um, Cam McCormick. Oh, yeah, yeah, Cam McCormick. Sorry. Brandon Schooler is also close, but not all the way back. He's, 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 he's begun running, which Cristobal said this week, which is a pretty good prognosis for his development. Um, but yeah, we're waiting on McCormick and we're waiting on, on Johnson. And I personally think even if either of those guys are healthy this week, I don't think Oregon should play them. Yeah, and we should say that it sounds like Johnson is going to be kind of game time. He's 50-50 to play, and the Cormick, they didn't sound particularly positive from what Cristobal said. It sounds like they're kind of eyeballing, hopefully, the Stanford game for a return date. And it's worth noting that after that Stanford game, there's a bye week, and that provides maybe a little more time for, for you know, for McCormick to get back. So Johnson sounds like he's the only one that's really likely to play. Um, and I agree with you, I, I, especially McCormick, who's been battling these nagging injuries. And let's be honest, that tight end position has looked pretty good. Like they had four different tight ends score touchdowns on Saturday. If you, if you want to include Brady Aiello and then you can include a fifth for the season because Webb had the, the touchdown in the first game against Auburn. So it's a position group that's actually looking pretty good. I would not rush him back. Johnson, you don't need him to win the football game. Like, let's just be clear. I think you can. If you do, you have bigger problems. Exactly. And, and, and so I wouldn't be. It kind of depends upon if there is any benefit to getting him game reps. If you think you can, if you think getting him on the field would be beneficial, maybe you put him out there for a drive or two. You get him 15 to 20 snaps, or maybe it's 10 to 15 snaps. See how he feels and make sure he's all right. At the same time, it sounds like this is one of those nagging injuries. He's already aggravated it once. 
I don't know if you want to put him out there in a situation, again, in a game where I, I don't think his involvement or availability is going to determine the outcome. I really think that's far-fetched to expect. And you're right, if it does, it's probably a really bad sign. So I, I would be, I would also be cautious with him. But if it is a thing where he wants to go out and, and get some, or, you know, or if the feeling is that he can benefit by going out and, and getting some in-game experience before they have a big test against Stanford the next week, then, hey, why don't you, maybe you do it. But I also think you have to be very, very careful. You know, it sounds like, again, like he's already aggravated this thing once before. I don't think you want to put him out there and risk that again, again, in a game where it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like you need him. Um, and sure, you'd love to have him out there. I'm sure he'd love to make his debut uh, this weekend. I'm sure he's been champ- you know, champion at the bit to get out there. But uh, realistically, this game isn't going to be a game where you need him, and, and you probably want to have him as healthy as possible on Stanford. And gosh, you don't want to risk possibly something else coming up on Saturday. From a recruiting perspective, um, it was the first weekend for Oregon last week to have guys on campus. Uh, there was a five-star in Noah Sewell, the state of Oregon's top prospect, regardless of recruiting class, and Keith Brown was also there. And, you know, there were a handful of other guys. A couple of them had scholarship offers from Oregon. Amarion Winston, a 2022 guy. Uh, Carson Cota, tight end from 2021, had an offer from Oregon. Um, the Ducks extended an offer to four-star wide – or to 2022 receiver Darius Clemens, who's unranked because we don't have rankings out, out for most 22 guys. Um, first weekend in the books, no official visitors, but for the most part, it was a, you know, it was a kind of one of those low key, big recruiting weekends, right? Where you have a five star, that's a big deal on your campus. And from everything that we've heard, it, it kind of sounds like Oregon's recruiting, you know, Oregon played really well on the football field. And on top of that, from a recruiting perspective, we're hearing really good things of how, you know, Oregon's progressing with all the recruits that were on campus as well. Yeah, and, and we should say, I think it, it does make it, we talked about how an outcome of a football game doesn't impact a kid's recruitment, but when you have a kid on campus and you're able to win like that and the atmosphere is as good as it was on Saturday, that can't hurt. And for a kid like Noah Sewell, who I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with his brother is Penny Sewell. Uh, <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, and his other brother Gabe was playing for Nevada in that game. Like that's just got to be such a cool experience. And and yeah, it does sound like there's a, you know it sounds like that Oregon's in a pretty decent spot for him right now. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, he'd be the headliner of this recruiting class. It'd be interesting to see how if he did pick Oregon, how they would utilize him going forward. I think Andy Avlos is probably salivating thinking about how to use that guy as a weapon because he's like 270 pounds and can move like like somebody who's 225 pounds. So. Certainly intriguing, certainly interesting. And running through the guys that were here, it's just, it's interesting how many of those guys are defensive, you know, highly regarded linebackers, defensive players. I think that's a position group where if you had any concerns right now about kind of the, that, the future of those positions, Oregon's able to land a handful of these guys going forward. I don't think you have to. Yeah. No, no, Sewell. I mean, I, I said on, on duck territory, um, on our message board during a quack chat on Thursday, someone asked, would he start if he signs at Oregon? I think he does. Yeah, he's that, I mean, he's the, he's that good. And I think, you know, Troy Dye graduates and, you know, Adrian, you know, I, Isaac Slade's performed pretty well and Samson News kind of come around the first two games of the season and, you know, yeah. MJ Cunningham's making progress, but, I, I think Sewell's, you know, one of those guys kind of along the lines of, of a base Funa in that they're just game changers 
like you get them on the field as quickly as you can because they can make a huge impact. And, um, you know, the crystal ball is trending to Oregon, right? Like it, everyone believes, you know, from the recruiting industry that, you know, Oregon will land Sewell. I have my crystal ball in for him. Um, it's just kind of one of those waiting games. Like he's, you know, he's got a, a, a top group. He's, he's looking at Alabama. He's looking at LSU, Ohio State, Texas A&M. You know, a lot of SEC schools are in, are in his final list, but the one constant throughout his recruitment has been Oregon. And I think, you know, it would be a pretty big shock if, for me, if he didn't go to Oregon. And I'd also be really interested to see how you mentioned the possibility of starting next year as a true freshman. I'd be really interested to see what position that ends up being. Is it inside linebackers? Is it outside linebackers? He play defensive end. Just a guy with so much versatility um, and such a unique physical specimen. You just don't see guys, again, uh, with that build who can move like he can and can make the plays that he can make. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll hear from our sponsors, and we'll continue our preview of uh, this weekend's game against the Montana Grizzlies, and we'll we'll dive into some transfer portal talk coming up next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me as always. And um, we teased it coming up to the, the, the break in the show. But um, on Wednesday of this week, former four-star top 40 recruit Devin Williams, a receiver from Southern California, who signed with the Trojans as part of the 2018 recruiting class, he put his name into the NCAA transfer portal. Now, the big reason why that relates to Oregon is because he was basically, he was like 90% there to committing to Oregon in late January, a week and a half before signing day. And then he got on campus that last weekend of recruiting. And this is why USC, you know, always has an advantage over everybody else as they can pull this stuff. He got on campus that last weekend and signed his commitment with the Trojans. And in a game, in a year and two games, you know, Williams has, has played in just 11 games and he has five catches for 92 yards and one touchdown and he played in 10 snaps. That's all he played in, uh, against Stanford this past weekend. And apparently he's had enough. He's entering the, the transfer portal and we can report that Oregon, we have done it on the site already, but we can say that Oregon's had contact with him, um, since the inclusion into the portal and, now the question becomes, Eric, 
does Oregon decide to pursue him aggressively? Do they choose to bring him in for an official visit? And if Devin Williams wants to go to Oregon, should the Ducks take a commitment knowing that you have 19 seniors on scholarship for 2019 season, you have 19 verbal commitments in this recruiting class right now, you're, you know, you're hoping to sign five, six, seven more guys for this class. Is Devin Williams one of those four or five guys that you want to sign knowing that he may have to sit out the, the 2020 season? Yeah, it's an interesting one because right now we're like, oh, man, wide receiver depth is so problematic for Oregon. Man, if, if he could transfer and play against Stanford in two weeks, like, boy, like, that would be great. But you're right. This is going to be a delayed thing. And uh, if you're being honest, you look at the position – for Oregon right now, wide receiver just down the line, like they've got a bunch of young guys. We haven't seen a lot of them because of injuries, but like they've got young guys. They've got Johnny Wilson in next year's class, who's you know rated really, really highly as well as another big wide receiver on the outside. It's it's going to have to be a, a judgment call of how good I think does the staff feel about the guys currently on campus, the guys they have committed in that 2020 class, um, it, it, and if he does have to sit out, and there's still some some uncertainty about exactly how that works. The transfer portal is kind of interesting, and I think you're kind of trying to figure it out on the fly, kind of like, okay, does, does he can he play next year if he were to sign and enroll with Oregon soon, or, or how does that all play out? But um, I think it's an interesting one. And, and obviously he's a recruit that, I, if you were following that recruiting class in 2018, like he was like basically target number one. Like everybody right. was – he was the guy everybody – all the Oregon fans were hyped up on and expecting that they might land. I mean, because it sounded like for a long time – I remember at that opening uh, up in Portland that year, the whole talk was about him, Chase Cota, and Isaiah Crocker, and all, all three of them were very heavy Oregon leans and were probably all going to end up at Oregon. Crocker's the only one that ends up siding with the Ducks. Uh, Cota went to UCLA and Williams went to USC. But at the time, it was like Williams is the guy, and he was great at that camp. I mean, he, he played really, really well, you know, and I, I can't wait to be like, gosh, he would be a guy who might be a stud right away at Oregon. And, and I think the fact you have to think about here is he wasn't able to contribute at USC. And USC does have a lot of talent at wide receiver. They always recruit that position well. There's a lot of guys in, in their backyard that are capable, but – has he shown enough in, like you said, 11 or 12 games with the Trojans to think, gosh, we have to have this guy? Or is it a thing where you go, well, he was rated a certain way out of high school, um, but we've kind of seen in a small sample size you know, at USC that maybe he's not deserving of one of our spots. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think certainly, again, if, if he were eligible to play right now, like if there were some, if it was true NFL free agency, or you know, you could actually <laughs> trade him or something, and he could suit up this week, you'd take him in a heartbeat just because of the the depth issues. But um, long term, like I think Oregon's pretty good at wide receiver, and, and if this is a guy who is having a hard time playing at USC, yeah, maybe it's something you have to really have a long pause for. Or maybe we're overlooking this, and this is an easy decision for Oregon, and they're going, oh yeah, this is a no brainer. This guy was a former top fifty recruit. He was a guy we really, really wanted a couple of years ago. We're, we're ecstatic that he's still available. Um, but I think, I don't know if it's as simple as that. I think it's, it's an interesting quandary, I think, because, again, he didn't show much in his last year at USC. I mean, I, there's a couple things that you have to factor in when you are going to consider going after Devin Williams. And that's, one, what does your roster look like beyond this season? Okay, so... You have a scholarship open. We asked Mario Cristobal on, on Wednesday if if you know, 
they liked if they have the room. And he said they, they always try and carry one available scholarship so that they can have a guy, you know, come in mid year. Adam Stack also left the program during the football season of week two and that opens up another scholarship. So Oregon should in theory have two scholarships available at least for, you know, a mid-year transfer if they want to do it. Now the, the question then becomes, all right, so you, you have the room. What does the position group look like beyond this season? Only Brendan Schooler and Jawan Johnson are seniors on the roster. So you only lose two players. You already have two receivers currently committed in the 2009, uh, 2020 recruiting class and Johnny, Johnny Wilson and, and Chris Hudson. So do you want to already go over, you know, the amount of guys that you're losing from the position group? Uh, I don't think that's that big of a deal, but you go down to the next group. All right. Well, you've got juniors on the list and the, there's only two juniors at scholarship at, at receiver for Oregon. And that's Jalon Red and Johnny Johnson. Um, so those two guys, neither of those guys are going to go pro, but that being said, um, Oregon, in two years, we'll be losing just four guys at the receiver position. And so that makes, that means you've got, you know, redshirt freshmen and JJ Tucker, Isaiah Crocker, Ryan Addison, you know, they are going to be on campus, you know, for three or four more seasons. You've got true freshmen and Micah Pittman, J.R. Waters, Lance, Will Hoyt. Um, and am I missing? Josh Delgado. Yeah, Josh Delgado. So you've got four more. So you have seven receivers on their roster right now that have three or more years of eligibility to play at Oregon. Seven guys total. And then you're bringing in two more receivers. That brings you your number up to nine. Um, I think in an ideal world, you probably would want 10, 11, maybe even 12 wide receivers, right, at the at the position. But Oregon's roster, the way it's currently constructed – um, you know, they don't have the room to just instantly just say, well, we're going to throw in, you know, two extra receivers and then what we're losing and, you know, bump this number up. It's going to be a kind of a year long process. And then on top of that, uh, you have to look at the guys that Oregon has available, you know, and recruiting classes beyond that. I mean, they're, they're still recruiting a couple 2020 receivers, but, you know, for the most part, let's, let's just look at 2021. You know, Bo Collins out of Belfast, uh, St. John Bosco is looking at Oregon. Um, a Yegi Hall, a five-star from Armwood, is looking at Oregon. Probably unlikely they get Hall, but he's looking at him. And, you know, the most high-profile receiver that's serious about Oregon is Troy Franklin from Menlo Park in California, a six-foot-three guy. He's the third-best receiver in the country. Um, he's high on, on the Ducks. Deont- uh, Deontay Thornton is another big-name receiver, another big dude, just like Devin Williams. He's six-foot-five. He's the fourth-best receiver in the country, and he likes Oregon. So, you know, Oregon's got good interest from, you know, the four best receivers in the country. Um, you, you go down the list and you'll find in the top 20, four more guys are, are giving Oregon some serious look at, at the Ducks. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's one of these deals where you can come out and just automatically say, take them. Like you have the pieces in place to continue to recruit guys and, um, from the 2020 class, from the 2021 class that can come in and, and play right away when they show up and, and and can help you. But on the flip side, taking a Devin Williams only, I think, strengthens your grip in Southern California because he's part of the the premium seven-on-seven squad. Uh, he's a, a guy that's very 
very popular among many of the Oregon players. Uh, they're very close with him that are on the team right now. He's also a, a very, you know, a guy that a lot of Oregon's recruits in 2019 know, or in 2020, excuse me, know about, and even in 2021. So he's, if you think he's talented and you can help, and he can help the Ducks in 2020 and beyond, there's also the benefit of bringing him in just because Oregon's developed that, that grip on, on Southern California from a recruiting standpoint and adding a Devin Williams to that mix is just going to be another guy that a lot of recruits in that area relate to and look up to. My personal just summary would be I would take him. I think the upside is high enough from what I saw again at the opening and, and from kind of the recruiting rankings that I think maybe something wasn't quite right at USC. Uh, you know, maybe he felt like he was sold a bad bill of goods down there and didn't get everything he deserved. And, and, and maybe that's, you know, part of the reason he didn't perform. But I just think the talent is pretty evident from what I saw again at the opening and, and kind of just watching highlights and, and, and the rankings and everything. I would just, I think you roll the dice and you gamble on him. And if, in a best case scenario, he could be somebody who, whether it's 2020 or 2021, whenever he's eligible, is a big, big part of that offense. All right, let's move to to Saturday again and, and kind of the expectations of this game. What are what are what are you hoping to see from work? Obviously, a win is what everyone wants to see, but in these types of games, it's not necessarily that you win or lose what pleases the crowd. It's kind of how you win, right? Like how you come across from a game. These are difficult games for programs like Oregon from a perception standpoint, because if you win 42 to to 17 or 42 to 14, it's not going to be looked at in the same manner of, you know, a 59 to 10 win. Like it, it just, it just isn't like, whether it's fair or not, people aren't are going to walk away from a game being down if if Oregon comes out and only wins by, you know, three scores or four scores. I think number one, I want to see them come out healthy again. I think that was one of the positives from the Nevada game is is really no significant injuries that we're aware of from that game, and, and that doesn't always happen in these games where you're overmatch, you know, you overmatch an opponent. So that'd be number one, and then I think from a in terms of the outcome of the game. I think you want, regardless of what the score is, you want to come away with the sense that Oregon totally outclassed that opponent. They performed at a high level. They didn't make too many mistakes. And that they carry some momentum against Stanford. And I, I agree that there would probably, you know, and, and maybe it isn't even necessarily score-related, but if Oregon looks sloppy throughout the game, and even if they win handily, there's going to be some people going like, boy, they didn't play very well in this game. And, like, what, do we have to, is there more cause for concern from than what we saw against Nevada last week where they just, you know, it was a near perfect game for about the last 40 minutes. Um, that's the big thing. And then a couple other things, you know, just in terms of what I want to see from individual groups, I, I still want to see more from this wide receiver group. Um, they're still obviously banged up last week. They made, they played at a high level. A lot of those touchdown catches they made though were pretty much uncontested, but you know, let's, let's see them go up and, and make some plays in traffic. Uh, can they get separation again? Like they did last week. Uh, and then defensively, I just want to see more of these these young guys uh, and, and see them play a higher level. Again, this is another, one of those last opportunities where they're you know going to have an opportunity in a game that maybe isn't very close to, to get a lot of snaps. So let's see Mace Funa and DJ Johnson and Kayvon Thibodeau. Those are guys that play a little bit even with the ones and, and, and you know obviously with the twos as well. But 
want to see those guys. And then, yeah, you want to see more of those true freshmen play at a high level, hopefully in a second half. And, and maybe that's the way to look at it. You, you, you want it to be a game where it's so handily clear that you're going to win the game that you can allow yourself to play, you know, 18 or 19 of these true freshmen uh, because of the new redshirt rule and feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, I, I think for me, I want to look at this this game afterwards and, and, and think Oregon kind of flexed their will, right? Like against Nevada, we saw them, you know, take some deep shots. They saw some, you know, some, some weaknesses in that, that Nevada secondary. And then they just went back to the well time and time again and exploited it. Basically, look, you got to stop this. And, and until you do, we're going to keep doing it. And so that's kind of the mindset I want to see with Oregon. Like if, if they find something that's working, um, you know, keep going back to it until it doesn't. And obviously I want to see a clean game, you know, limiting the penalties. I think Crystal Ball has, has talked about this week of, you know, they're second in the conference, but he expects first. And, you know, so he won't, you know, cutting the penalties there, not, you, I think you can live with penalties, but there's, there's like the self-inflicted ones, like false starts and yeah. face masks and late hits, like those types of things. We haven't seen a late hit yet. Um, which is good, but no, we, those we, are the types of we did see one. Did oh, we did. That's right. Lenore got flagged for one that, that set up a. The That's first right. Struggle. That's right. Um, I, those are the types of things that you can kind of control, and so eliminating those, like if you get called for a holding penalty or 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 something like, look, that's just the nature of the game. You're gonna, you know, it's gonna happen. Um, but those other things are, you know, those other types of penalties are ones that you can control and. You know, preventing that stuff from happening. And then, you know, I want to see the, you know, I want to see the offense kind of flex a little bit and, and exploit Nevada when, when you can and continue to do so until they let up. Um, and then from the defensive side of the football, it's, I, I think real quick offensively, you need to figure out the run game a little bit because I think <clears throat> week one, the running backs missed some wide open holes and yeah. some opportunities were missed for some big gains on the ground. Week two, Shane Lemieux said that, you know, the offensive line, the first string was very disappointed in how they performed and that they missed some blocks that would have set up some big runs had they, you know, executed things correctly because of the, you know, timing of the play calls were perfect. Um, so I think week three, you want to see that run game kind of get itself back on track and, and play a clean game. Um, defensively though, I, I'm with you. I want to see a lot of these younger guys out there and, you know, we've obviously seen a ton of Mace Funa and, and KT and DJ Johnson and, and, you know, the guys along the D line, but I think just more snaps for them in general and getting them more and more reps of live ball. Cause sometime down the road, some of these guys are going to be asked maybe even to start because of injuries or, you know, another guy's not performing well and they're going to need to be ready. No, I think so. I, you know, I, and again, it, it is cool to get opportunity with this great recruiting class, and it was something that was talked about a lot on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's just how talented this class has been, and, and how good they looked early. And another opportunity to see these guys for extended reps, I think, would be both great for fans and, and everybody following the team, but also just for these players and, and, and getting that experience. And this is where that the change to the redshirt rule is is such a positive to me because there's probably four or five guys that might not have played against Nevada because they didn't know they wanted to burn the redshirt rule, but because of the change, uh, they're able to play. And, and that's kind of what you love to see in these, in these early games against teams like Nevada and Montana. 
All right, looking at this game, score prediction-wise, I'll go first. Um, I'll be honest. Like, I, I I think Oregon is going to score a ton of points. Um, but at the same time, I'm not expecting a 77-point performance again. Just because, you know, everything's not going to go exactly right for that to happen. But I do think they score a ton. I think the defense plays pretty well. They do give up a touchdown. Uh, but they certainly cover the spread, and in the fourth quarter, we see, you know, Oregon's entire first unit off the field on both sides of the football. Um, Justin Herbert extends his streak of throwing touchdown passes in a game to 31. Uh, I think we also see Justin Herbert throw a, a touchdown pass to his 22nd different player in this football game. Um, could be Josh Delgado. That might be a guy that, that gets a touchdown. Um, it also could be Patrick Herbert. Maybe, maybe we, maybe we see that. Um, but I, I think someone on the team catches a touchdown pass for the first time from Justin Herbert. Oregon walks away with a 59-13 victory feeling pretty good. I just wrote down on a piece of paper my prediction before you said that I also wrote down 59 to 13. So that was weird. <laughs> that was so weird. I, I wish I, I wish I could have, I wish we were in the same room together so I could have shown you the piece of paper. I wrote down 59 to 13. So I don't know if I should change that on the fly here, but that was the number I was also going to give. Uh, that's weird. Uh, one other note. I, I, I did the math on it. I think it's actually, I think he saw 20, 24 different receivers. If, if my math was right. I had a post on the website. Do you want to go look at that? Really? Interesting. Yeah, I got I got 24. So either I'm doing it wrong, or, or or something, or somebody else's number was wrong previously. But I had 24 um, written down. But now I'm trying to think about what I want to do for my score prediction because Matt threw me for a loop because I thought I was being so weird with a 59 to 13 number, and then you said the exact number right before you you, you sent it over to me. Um, I'm gonna go 52 to 10. Then I'm gonna say Oregon scores one less touchdown uh, and allows one fewer field goal. Uh, to keep that margin basically the same, I, I, I'm with you on a lot of it. I, I think, I do think Montana's going to get in the end zone. I just think that's something that's going to happen, and, and maybe that's a good thing for this defense in terms of like, hey, we can't keep every team out of the end zone every game, um, uh, you know. But I, I think, I think, yeah, I think defensively, I just think Oregon is, is really, really good, and, and Montana is a team that scored 61 points last week. But I don't expect that they're going to run the ball up and down the field again. And then offensively, I'm with you a lot. I, I, I think. I think we see a lot of the backups in the second half because I think this offense here knows that they can even take it to a different level than they took it against Nevada, which is crazy because they scored 77 points. But I'm expecting a, a strong offensive game. Yeah, I'm going to go 52 to 10, only because you took 59 to 13 right before I did. <laughs> uh, I have the game notes in front of me, and it's 22 players, but the game notes say – Justin Herbert has completed a pass to 31 different players over his career, inclu- including 22 have caught a touchdown pass. I'll have to check my math then. I, I, I thought I had 24 when I ran through it, but maybe it is 22. Interesting enough, though, we could see – I said we're going to see a, you know, another guy get added to this list who's never caught a touchdown pass. C.J. Verdell has not caught a touchdown pass from Justin Herbert. Well, that's, a, that's a top candidate right there for to, to kind of change that. Yeah, that's my pick as well. I mean, if McCormick played, then he'd be the obvious choice, another obvious choice, because he's not done it yet. And neither, and, and neither is, uh, Darian Felix. Um, so, Juwan Johnson as well, yeah, if he, if he plays too. But, uh, I, I do think we get it, uh, that streak to continue again as well. So, score predictions from Eric and I, we both said 59 points for Oregon. I said 13 points for Montana. Eric said 10. 
Um, he's only saying 10 because I picked 13 million seconds before he did. That was weird. So. That was, I'm still confused by that. <laughs> so for Eric Scopel and myself, thanks for watching or thanks for listening. Uh, if you were watching us, that's really impressive. Kind of creepy. That's very creepy. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We'll be back uh, again. I will be back on the podcast Saturday night, Sunday morning, whenever the game ends. Who knows? Uh, for a full game recap, and then we'll be back again uh, on Monday for our next uh, produced podcast as well. So thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. For Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Bream, we'll talk to you later. Adios, amigos.